So I started teaching confirmation class a couple weeks ago. And Stephanie and I had wanted to make sure we had a confirmation class this year because there were so many students that wanted to learn. We have eight students in confirmation this year, and it's a pretty amazing group. Our curriculum, Big God, Big Questions, asks certain questions to help the students prepare for being confirmed in the church. The first question on night one was, what is confirmation? Makes sense. The second question was, how do we know and trust God? It's a pretty big question. I had an hour to teach how we know and trust God. It wasn't really possible. But I asked them a follow-up question. Do you believe God cares about you and is involved in your life? This question was to encourage them to think about examples in their lives where they've seen or felt God's presence. Most of the students had ready examples and seemed somewhat confident until a new question from a fellow student. Does God really listen? Oof. In the world today, it is sometimes hard to know. We lift up our voices, and they do not seem to go beyond our own walls. But the story of Jonah gives us a narrative to help us understand these questions, or at least give us enough to stew on it. How do we know and trust God? Does God really listen? Is God really involved in our lives? As a prophet, Jonah's role was to proclaim the words God gave to him. He was a mouthpiece for the Lord. We do not know much about Jonah, but he was mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14 and was said to be Jonah, son of Amittai, and he was a prophet for the northern kingdom of Israel. The city of Nineveh and God's wrath for them is described vividly in the book of Nahum. Nineveh was described as a wicked city. According to Nahum, God speaks judgment against the city for all its evil ways. And uh, the book of Nahum was written shortly before Nineveh was conquered by the Babylonians. So Jonah is the counterpart to Nahum, which contains hope rather than destruction, and was written much later, as if looking back. The book of Jonah is unique among the prophets. It is a narrative that tells the story of a prophet's experience instead of telling us what the prophet was told to say. In fact, Jonah says exactly five words in Hebrew, which translate to this, 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all he says to Nineveh. Another interesting thing about this book is most of the other prophets except Elijah, prophesy strictly to the Israelites. But God sent Jonah to speak to a city full of Assyrians who were Israelites' enemies. The book of Jonah leaves most scholars clueless when it comes to origin. It is diverse in genre. It's often called a satire, and it's difficult to date. Most scholars have agreed at the very least that it was written after the city of Nineveh had fallen, which was around 612 BCE. But the best part about all this is that because scholars have essentially decided that they cannot figure out Jonah, they've begun to appreciate it for what it is. 
a portion of scripture that can offer us great insight into the character of God and God's role in our lives. The passage of scripture I read, or Elliot read today from chapter 3 is part of the book of Jonah, which is meant to give us hope. We may have all heard the story, but I want to make sure that we put this message in the right context, because for a long time, I thought the story ended when Nineveh was saved. Yay! Happy ending! Surprisingly, VeggieTales is where I learned otherwise. In 2002, VeggieTales made their first movie, and it was about Jonah. Up until then, um, they had just been making TV shows, and up until then, I had thought that the story of Jonah ended with solid, happy ending. Yay, the city was saved. Everyone's happy. Here's a synopsis for you of the story. God came to the prophet Jonah and told him to go to Nineveh to speak against it because their wickedness had become too much. Jonah tried to escape from this task. Perhaps Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh because he was afraid of the Ninevites. They were his enemies after all. They were Gentiles and they did not worship the Hebrew God. They were known for their violence towards humans and animals and it's fair to assume that Jonah would have been scared of them. Or... Perhaps Jonah was running from God. The funny thing about Jonah running from God is that Jonah knew who he was running from. The God of heaven who made the sea and dry land, that's a quote from Jonah to the sailors on the ship. The psalmist puts it this way, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? The answer is inevitably nowhere. There is not one place on earth or in the heavens or in the depths that God is not. So why on earth did Jonah think he could flee? I can just picture God watching Jonah flee and thinking, really, Jonah? Now I'm going to have to go after you. During his escape attempt, Jonah was taking a ship in the opposite direction of Nineveh to Tarshish. A violent storm comes upon Jonah while traveling, and he gets thrown overboard. The words of Jonah in this chapter make it clear that he is aware God is in charge of the storm. After being thrown overboard, the storm resolves, and the ship's crew, also Gentiles, begin to worship God because they are amazed at the change. So Jonah is rescued from the depths by a big fish that the Lord sent. He survived in the belly of the fish for three days, and he used those three days to repent and thank God for saving his life, and then the fish spit him back out. This is where our scripture picks up. God told Jonah again, using the exact same words as in the beginning of the book, to go to Nineveh and proclaim what God told him. We don't even know what God told him until verse 4, but Jonah listened this time. When he arrives in the city, we're told that the city is a three days walk across. Wow. That is a pretty big city. An emphasis on the city's size is certainly meant to catch our attention. The book mentions several times how great the city is. Why would the author emphasize this? Was it to maybe clue us in on the vastness of the consequence of destroying or saving this many people? Was it to let us know how far Jonah was expected to walk? Saying that the great city of Nineveh was a three days walk across meant there was a lot at stake. 
Jonah, however, decides to forego this long journey and gives the message on the first day. The normal ritual for ambassadors or visitors with a message for the king during this time was supposed to take three days. The first day was for visiting with the king, the second day was for the announcement, and the third day would include finishing business and being escorted out. Jonah was supposed to head straight to the king and tell him the message, but he didn't wait. I imagine he didn't want to be there. The message was nothing spectacular, but the Ninevites responded extremely quickly. Eight words in English, five words in Hebrew, and the people were going through full rituals of repentance. Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. To us, overthrown may not pack the punch that a word like destroyed would, but to these Ninevites, the word used in Hebrew the word for overthrown, is the same word used to describe what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. If I were an Ninevite that knew about Sodom and Gomorrah, I would take this announcement pretty seriously. I would not want to let that kind of destruction come upon my city. And that's all it took. Fortunately for Jonah, the city heeded his half-hearted decree. In fact, the king immediately began to perform the proper ritual of repentance, donning sackcloth and sitting in ashes, as the entire city was called to do the same, and in addition to fast. God saw their response to these words, and they changed God's mind. God was moved to mercy. After seeing God relent and turn from destroying Nineveh, Jonah must have been overjoyed, right? Unfortunately, no, Jonah was mad. He was angry that he'd come all this way for nothing. I'm sure that what God had in mind for Jonah after this Nineveh business, it appears that Jonah did not care and did not even want to go on living, whatever God's plans for him were. Here we have an Israelite prophet pouting because the lives of thousands were spared. Jonah couldn't see the big picture. All he could see was his little pity party that he had come all this way for God to change his mind. Disregarding the fact, for a moment, that Jonah is disappointed because a vast amount of people were allowed to live, let's put ourselves in Jonah's shoes. Jonah felt like the past weeks or months of his life were wasted time. His job did not bring about the result he wanted. I think I can speak for most of us when I say that we have all felt like a failure at one point in our lives, and sometimes feeling like a failure causes us to feel anger, resentment, sadness. Poor Jonah. Regardless, God takes mercy on him and causes a plant to grow to shade Jonah while he is sitting on a hill overlooking the city, feeling like a failure. But God does not allow Jonah to sulk for too long. God takes away the shade and attempts to teach Jonah a lesson and get him back on his feet we don't know if Jonah got back on his feet. The story ends. But what we do know is that our response to God's mercy and love matters. The Ninevites responded in haste. They had a sense of urgency. Jonah dragged his feet every step of the way, and God gave Jonah chance after chance to come out of himself and see the love that God gives. Jonah even says to God, 
I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. That's why I didn't want to go in the first place. We can both use the Ninevites and Jonah to look at God's presence in our lives and our own responses to God. I'm sure we have all reacted in a multitude of ways to God's call. We may get frustrated, we may run away, we may be disappointed, or we may take a chance when we're given the chance. God used Jonah to deliver a message to a whole city full of the most unlikely individuals, yet the whole city repented. Just think how much of a better place it was to live and visit. Just think what a better world it would be if we would all be willing to respond to God's mercy when it presents itself. God does not need us to completely fulfill everything asked of us, but asks us to try. Nothing would have been said to Nineveh had Jonah not eventually agreed to go. God made Jonah a part of his plan for Nineveh. And even though he did the job a third of the way, God used it. God took Jonah's minuscule participation and turned it into a saving act. Whether we are Jonah's or Ninevites, God meets us where we are. God pursues us, even. The ending of our passage tells us of God's changing mind. God changes from making Nineveh a second Sodom and Gomorrah and gives them another chance to treat one another right. The fact that God showed so much concern and mercy towards Gentiles was probably shocking to those who first heard this story. But for us, we have a vantage point in history that allows us to see that God involved foreigners in many of his plans and eventually sent a savior for all of us, not just the Jews. Because of our vantage point, we can see Jonah in an even clearer light than those who were around at the time. We know that Nineveh does eventually get destroyed by the Babylonians, and so does Jerusalem. No one is saved from their destruction. However, the destruction of these two great cities does not end the story. It begins a new one. One that begins much later with a small child. One that begins with a strange man shouting to a couple of fishermen saying, follow me and I will make you fish for people. If we look at how God involved how God involved God was in the life of Jonah, we can take heart and know much about God's faithfulness. We are called by one that is merciful and wild, one that is loving and fierce, and one that controls the entire universe and knows every choice we make before we do. Jonah reminds us that God's call is both not easy to follow and the easiest thing in the world. When we are summoned, let us participate in the continuous creation and transformation of God's kingdom. It matters how we respond to God. God changed their minds and their hearts. God changed God's own mind. And God is working in yours as well. We only need to respond. Amen.